Thanks for joining the podcast with Tamara Gondor. Conversations with everyday innovators that reject status quo, think differently, and make a positive difference in their world. Listen in so you can ignite innovation, influence others, and make an impact too. And now your host, CrossFit addict, knee-high sock lover, and according to her kids, average cook, Tamara Gondor. Hey everybody, welcome to the show with Tamara Gondor. That is me, Tamara. So I have a really great job. And part of the reason I say that is I travel across the globe speaking at conferences and for companies and I meet the most amazing everyday innovators, people like you and me out there who are really doing it. They are thinking differently, they are innovating, they are becoming leaders in their category, they're influencing others and making a big impact. So when I find these people, I tend to ask them to be on my show because I know they're going to have some great experience and wisdom to give to all of us out there looking to do the same. And one of those is one of my clients who I'm so proud of because they do the most amazing work, Spire Financial. Now, here's the lucky part. They happen to be close to where I live, which means I get to go visit them in person. And that is exactly what I did. So what I'm bringing to you this time is a little bit different. It's a three-part series where I interviewed three different groups of people, well, one individual and then two groups. But I got to hear their perspective on innovation, how they're thinking about a changing marketplace, what they're doing to innovate and stand out in a crowded competitive field from all of these different leaders who are doing incredible things. So the next three podcasts are coming from Spire Financial. And I'm really excited about, like I said, when I met them, I knew I had to have them on the podcast. So I'm gonna tell you a little bit about each person that I'm interviewing and their everyday innovator style, and then be prepared to get your notebooks out because I know that there's gonna be a wealth of insights and actionable takeaways for you to actually do moving forward. So I'm gonna start with Dan and I'm gonna let him introduce himself, but let me tell you a little bit about his everyday innovator style. So Dan is a collaborative inquisitive. That means he innovates by pulling disparate people and ideas and experiences together to create whole innovation. When I think about collaboratives, they're the ones that pull people in for their perspectives. It's like pulling different pieces of the puzzle, but they pull it together to create that complete picture. And then the inquisitive side, as you're going to hear in this interview, is all about challenging assumptions. People who have inquisitive in their style tend to not just sit on the surface, they actually dig deep and they're constantly asking like, well, why is this the way it is? Well, how come? Well, what do we have to think about next? They kind of don't tend to settle in because they're always digging and digging. And because of that, they find deep innovation. So the power in Dan's combination, the magic and collaborative inquisitive, is bringing whole deep innovation to the table. All right, let's get to that interview. So first of all, Dan, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you. As you know, I'm a big fan of your team and what you do. So I already know, but tell the world who you are and what you do. Well, my name is Dan Brown, and I'm the regional manager here at Spire Financial. We do home loans uh, in Colorado and in Arizona. We're licensed in 47 states, and right now the market's uh, shifted and pretty tough. So we're just going to try to thrive and survive. So your industry has seen an unbelievable amount of change. I think that probably in some ways is an understatement, isn't it? Yeah, it's how, how have you thought about keeping up with the change? Or I, I would say in some cases, maybe I'm, it's a little insider information, but harnessing that change as well. Well, I mean, we've been preparing for, this is my 22nd year in mortgage. And so, you know, I've seen a few cycles and 
you know, we, we have our regional sales meetings every other week. And, and I've been telling these guys even back uh, a year, a year and a half, that winter's coming yeah. um, because I've seen the cycles. And, you know, it's really important to understand what you're going to do ahead of time to make sure that when winter does arrive, you're well buffered to be able to hopefully not only survive, but thrive through it. Let me ask you a question about that, because I think some people I've talked to have struggled with all right, I'm planning for a future, but that future is kind of unknown. Yeah. And I think if you had, if we'd had a conversation two years ago, yeah. right, with anybody out there, it's hard. It would have been hard to predict where we are 100%. today. So, how do you think about that preparation? When I think, in a lot of ways, you're also preparing for uncertainty. Well, that's what it is. It's, it's, yeah. it's simply a contingency. I mean, nobody's got a crystal ball yeah. of what's going to happen when it happens. I mean, for instance, you know, we knew that rates were going to go up. You can't print. Nine trillion dollars <laughs> over a year and a half, and, and think that, that inflation isn't yeah. going to, you know, somehow yeah. kick in, and and, and we're, we're going to have to raise rates. Um, but but the 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 pace at which they've gone up has been really shocking, and something yeah. that I didn't even see happening. For example, uh, you know, three months ago rates were in the threes, now they're in the sixes, yeah. and that's the fastest run up in American history since 1842. Wow. So it's just, it, it, it's pretty insane. And last week, mortgage applications were, were at a 22 year low. So, I mean, I haven't even seen, uh, you know, the, this type of run up or, or as bad of a cycle as this could possibly be. But, you know, we, we kind of knew, uh, that this was going to happen, maybe not as quickly as it did. And so some of those contingency plans that, that we were able to prepare for over what does that next phase look like for us, you know? Yeah. How do we serve the entity, the future entity of who we are right now? Because if we don't start thinking about it right now, the music's going to stop and we're not going to have a chair. And so we got to get out in front of it. So here's what I absolutely love about this conversation so far, I just have to say, is uh, I think oftentimes for particularly when it comes to innovating or changing, even if it's small or big, we tend to wait until we're disrupted or the change is here and we have no choice. And the insight that I'm hearing from you that I want to make sure all the listeners are really paying attention to is what you're saying is I'm always prepared for the future. Or I'm always in preparation for the future. So you're not waiting until it happens to start thinking about it at least, which even if things aren't quite as you expected them to be, it puts you in such a better position, doesn't it? I mean, hopefully, <laughs> you know, I mean, listen, we, we, we all like to plan and make plans. Uh, and, and hopefully the plan that you make is applicable when... Yeah. You know, it hits the fan, right? Um, and and so, you know, the, the I, I guess just the way that my mind works is I'm always working on contingencies, whether it's good or bad, and really trying not to get caught up in the here and now and in the moment, mm -hmm. knowing that there's a tomorrow and that, that tomorrow might look different. And that tomorrow might be harder than what today is, um, but it's certainly going to be better at some point. Yeah. And so we just need to make sure that we take a deep breath and that we realize who we are presently occupied, what we like about ourselves, and where we're going to go should the market continue to shift in ways that, you know, maybe are somewhat predictable, but not the timing of it. Right, yeah. What's a recent win or something that you're proud of? I mean, I, I think, you know, here in Spire, you know, the, the biggest win that we've had was to get out in front of something that, that we saw happening uh, with, with the markets being as hot as they are. I mean, Denver, Arizona, I mean, Arizona saw 33% appreciation last wow. year, which is insane. Um, and because of that, you know, there was a lack of inventory in these markets, still is. And, and you know, 
people who would come to us and get a loan would be priced out by a cash offer because a cash offer is just inherently safer, right? Yeah. When 25% of uh, every purchase contract doesn't close because of loan contingency, obviously the seller is going to know that that cash offer is a stronger offer, even if it's not the highest price. And so knowing that and seeing what some of these disruptors out of Silicon Valley were doing, like the Orchards and the Homewards yeah. and the Accept right. Inks, we had to create a program like that that was more localized that, that we could give to our partners. And, and what that would do in the, in the messaging there was, okay, it's not only serving ourselves and the entity, but who really matters here? Well, there's three people who really matter here. First off, the buyers. Yeah. Like the last thing that we would want is to write 26 pre-approval letters knowing that they're never going to get accepted because of the strength of the offer. The second person that we have to serve is the realtor. We don't want our realtor partners carting people around and writing 26 offers not to get accepted. You know, that's when real estate fatigue sets in and a lot of these folks tap out. Yeah. And so, or they go somewhere else, somebody with a better product or service than what we have. Um, and then the last person that we had to serve uh, are LOs. And I don't know who's most important um, in, in that kind of hierarchy, but they're all important. And, and when you don't have to, when you can frame things in a sense of importance through service to others and not yourself, it does remove a lot of the fear and the trepidation to be able to try new things, to be able to create those contingencies and make a plan and go. All right, this is so good. I have a couple questions for you. So let's start with how do you, so you mentioned three customers at once, right? And the LO being the loan officer, that's what that stands for, yeah. So how do you think about balancing or understanding the changing needs of those three different markets? Because I think a lot of people struggle with, all right, I've got more than one customer, yeah. but I can't really, like it's, I feel fractional in my energy and my effort. You've got three customers who are actually are all kind of intertwined yeah. um, and they're all important, but they have different needs. Exactly. So how do you think about figuring that out and balancing that? Well, you gotta go to the, what's the most important thing. And, and without customers, we're not a business. No company is a business without customers. Yeah, so the customer and their needs have to come first. And when you can, Think about it in terms of like offering a service and a value that maybe somebody else doesn't offer or, or nobody else offers. And that puts the customer in the best position to get the highest form of service from you where you're really trying to serve these folks. Then that's the most important thing because what's going to happen is the realtors and the loan officers, they're going to fall in line after that because they want customers, right? They want commissions. And so, you know, I guess I just answered my own question. The hierarchy would be the customer. It always yeah. has to be about them. The, 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 the needs in this particular um, instance um, are all met because what's good for the goose is good for the gander. It's, it's incredibly important for our referral partners to know that we've got something that's going to help them get their job done faster. Because the faster you, work, you, you get a commission in a commission-based uh, industry, the quicker you can move on and get the next commission. And and that's the same with our loan officers. And so again, it's they're so intrinsically entwined, but the, the customer is by far and away the most important because at the end of the day, that's what everybody wants. Sometimes what I see with our clients is the leader at the top, like Dan, someone in your position, really understands the importance of, well, what does the customer need? And I would say that, I'd love to get your perspective on this, 
the needs of the customer are switching now or changing now faster than they ever have. So if you're serving what you think are your customer's needs for a year ago, you're probably already out of date, first of all. Yeah. How do you, though, as the leader, get your teams and the people who are really on the front lines to embrace that customer first mindset? Because actually, I think that's sometimes where a disconnect happens because the person at the top's like, well, obviously we need to serve the customer, right? Yeah. We've got to, it's them first. Yeah. But then the people are out there doing their jobs and marking off their checklists to no fault of their own. They're doing their jobs, but, but they miss that opportunity to bring that back. So how do you think about getting that mindset out to the team. We talk about it all the time. I mean, it's the old Simon Sinek, what, how, why? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, honestly, it's that simple. Why are you doing this? Like, if it's just for a commission, then you need to rethink why you're here. Yeah. Because commissions come and go, depending on markets or on your initiative. And so you have to have a deeper why than just getting paid. And that's what we're always mindful of, because we can teach anybody the what. And we can even teach them the how, but I can't tell them their intrinsic why, nor should I. So what's your why? My why is to be the highest and best that I was made to be, whatever that is. That's my deep why. And what is, what would you say Spire's why is? I think, you know, it's funny, we're, we're, we're kind of reworking this right now in, in terms of kind of a statement and and, and, and whatnot. But I mean, it, it's, it's truly a commitment to our communities. And the reason why I use communities is because the word community is two root words, common unity. And, and we're in a lot of communities. We got a community right here in this office. That, that's who we are. And, and then we serve a greater community, whether it be our referral partners or the clients. And so it's service first advising first, making sure that we're here doing the right things for the right reasons. And that's kind of what Spire's about. You know, I know because we've interacted before, obviously, that you've done some really innovative things as a team and as an organization. What's something from your vantage point innovative that you've done that's helped you differentiate yourself, stand out, continue to be successful? I mean, as a specific example here or just in I'll take both. Okay. Either or. Well, a specific example was, you know, it, 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 in terms of service and serving our real estate partners, we have to add value. We've got to be yeah. giving them something that somebody else isn't. Um, and one of the things that we do is we teach continuing ed court, uh, courses to them because they've got to have their 10 hours a year. And so, you know, why not get certified through the state and make sure that we are providing some value there and hopefully making it fun. Well, how do we make it fun? And so one of the innovations that I came up with was I said, you know what, this is ridiculous. And, and I'm going to put, I'm going to put some real capital into this because sitting in a conference room being taught seems like a waste of time. It's not a waste of time because they have to do it, but are they really listening? They have they to do it. Isn't a good reason. They have to do it. And it's not a good reason. Yeah. They're just imprisoned, right. you know, for, for the hour, two hours, three hours. That, it's that, exactly that, what that's, it feels like. And that's not fun. Yeah. Like, it's not fun. And are you providing value? Of course you're providing value. But what if we could really turn that on its head and make it fun? And so a couple of years ago, I just decided, you know, this is, this is something that we're going to do. We're going to make this fun. How are we going to make it fun? And I came up with renting a 60-person bus and... We would drive up to my brewery in Idaho Springs and we would teach the class on the bus. <laughs> awesome. And then we would go have this awesome time with them, like kind of a happy hour mixer, and then come back on the bus and everybody sings acapella karaoke. And it's <laughs> it's just, it, it was a much more 
like fun and unifying yeah. way to add value to these folks for our loan officers and, and for them too, because then they started to look forward to it. We had the same people who wanted to get on the bus because it was so fun. And the value add wasn't just the what yeah. of what we were doing. There, there was a deeper connection. So there's a couple of things I just want to point out for all the listeners. It's so great about that story. So one is your inquisitive side, because you're collaborative inquisitive. One, the inquisitive side is all, never satisfied with the surface. It's like, well, why do we do it this way? Well, how come? So I think all the rest of us go, well, that's how that's how you do it, right? It's just C credits and or CEC, whatever you call them. And like, that's that. And you're over there going, yeah, but, but why? Like, why are we doing it that way? Here's what I love about that story, though, is I think I, I would venture to say that the people that took the course on the bus probably not just learned more, but remembered more than those sitting in the conference room in the traditional format, because it is so boring and so painful. And you do it because two point, you have to, right. versus being on this bus, doing something a little bit different, shaking up your kind of brainwaves a little bit and getting a different experience. And then getting the added value of not just the experience, but the networking yeah. that you provided afterwards. So right. it's taking something that I'd say in the industry, everybody has to do and doing it in a way that's way more meaningful. And I would encourage everybody out there listening to think about what's that thing in your business that you have to do? We all have them, but is there a way to do it that provides a whole different level of value the way you just talked about? Yeah. I mean, the bottom line is I'm really selfish and I'm not into wasting my time. Yeah. My time is incredibly important to me. And so, you know, if I'm not going to be excited about something, I'm just not going to do it because I've come to that stage in my life. Yeah. And so as it pertains to this example, I really wanted to be bought in. I wanted to do something that was fun for me too. I didn't yeah. want to just be like mailing it in. Um, and, you know, I, I, it's pretty funny because I, I think that we all know this once I say it, but there's nothing like moving from position A to position B, whether it be on a road trip, whether it be on a plane, whether it be in a car, even on a bus up to Idaho Springs, the movement out of our current Oikos yeah. is super important. And what it does in a reason that I can't explain is it does heighten you to a, a different level of anticipation because you don't know what's coming. That's why it's an adventure. And, and because of that, you're more inclined to pay attention and you're excited, but maybe you don't know why you're excited. You're just on an adventure. And so the movement of people in that way, I do believe gets them to a place where, you know, they're going to pay attention. So it's interesting. And I think we did this, um, at your conference too. So one of the things that I love to do when I keynote is to open up with this exercise where they have to draw someone they don't know. Yeah. And it's uncomfortable and awkward, but it shakes them out of their regular routine of, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to listen to a speaker on a stage, I'm probably going to take some notes, most likely going to tune out, right? Because that's our habit. And I, our brains are very habitual and our environments have a massive subconscious impact on how we think and how we take in information. So if we don't shake that up, we get the same results we've always gotten. And then we get frustrated, right? Because we get them. You're listening to Conversations with Everyday Innovators on with Tamara Gondor Podcast. Let's take a moment to thank our generous partners that make this possible. I want to take a moment to talk about my friends at Howdy Puppy. Dogs experience all the same problems as humans when it comes to joint pain, anxiety, digestion, and arthritis. A great way to help our four-legged family members with these ailments is with CBD-infused pet treats. Who doesn't like treats? As you longtime listeners know, my Mastiff, Zoe, is part of my family, but is getting older and has some anxiety issues when strangers come around. Howdy Puppy CBD Dog Treats has totally changed her disposition. 
And I know she feels like her young, energetic, confident self when she gets Howdy Puppy CBD dog treats. There are many CBD-infused dog treats on the market, but the truth is that many of them are overpriced and ineffective. We've looked at dozens of CBD dog treats and found most of them disappointing. Howdy Puppy is among the best brands in the CBD pet business. They deliver consistent quality, and their treats look and taste amazing, according to our dogs, of course. The company makes CBD dog treats in three flavors, steak, bacon, and cheese rolls. All of Howdy Puppy CBD treats contain natural ingredients, including high-quality full-spectrum hemp oil, all sourced and made in the USA. Full disclosure, I'm an investor in Howdy Puppy, but before I put my name on the company, I had an independent lab in Denver, Colorado, verify the quality and consistency of their treats. They are truly as advertised. Go online today at howdypuppy.com, link will also be in the show notes, and use promo code TAMARA, T-A-M-A-R-A, that's me, to get 20% off the absolute best CBD dog treats on the market. You will not be disappointed. Howdypuppy.com, promo code TAMARA. Don't let them suffer needlessly. Let them enjoy life too. Um, Let's talk about frustration for a second, actually. Let's flip it. What's an obstacle you faced and how have you overcome it? (sighs) Which one of the thousands should I pick? (laughs) Yo, growth is hard. Starting something for me is not hard. Um... But, you know, I've, I've really started to say it like this to the group. Um, you know, when you start, and I hope this answers, I, I, think, I think it might be a better roundabout way to kind of get to what you're asking. The why of why we do anything uh, comes out of a moment of inspiration or maybe moments of inspiration. The word inspire means in the spirit. So, you know, you're just caught up. Like when you're at an abs game tonight, go abs. You're going to be caught up in the electricity, the vibration that's going on. And so you're inspired. You're in the spirit and hopefully they win. You know, uh, so you get inspired, but inspiration wears off like pretty quickly. Right. I mean, it just it's a it burns quick. So then you've got to be motivated to do the thing that you were inspired to do. And what happens is you're going to be motivated and motivated and motivated until all of a sudden you're frustrated. And frustration is something that we're going to face in anything that we do, especially something worth doing that's hard. We're going to be frustrated. At that point, that's when we're going to have to think outside of the box and iterate. And that's where the last one, determination, comes in. Your determination over how you're going to resolve the one big thing that is the problem in that instance is going to make or break that particular thing that you decided to be inspired to do and motivated to do, and then it got frustrated to do. How how deep mm. does your determination run? So what's interesting about that to me too is it was just making me think of a time where um, I was really inspired, slightly motivated, and then quit. And I think part of the reason is when the frustration came over, I didn't anticipate it. It's like I thought for some reason, totally wrongly, yep. I thought that in the beginning, because I was inspired, that everything would go well and it would always be exciting. Yep. But it's not always exciting. And you hit these massive roadblocks, especially if you're trying to do something a little different and new. Um, and it was so frustrating because 
I just, I didn't expect it. So now when I get inspired, I actually think about what's going to go wrong so that when it happens or something happens, I'm actually prepared for it, which I think keeps me through that motivation a little longer. Will you share a specific time where you went through that arc yourself? Because I love how you talked about that. Yeah. I mean, we were talking about it before we we, we got on here. I mean, um, you know, back when I was doing triathlon a while ago, you know, I was in really good shape, just great on the bike swam in high school and get through the run, no problem. And it was something that me and a few of my friends would do. I ended up doing one with my wife. Um, and the very first one that I did um, was a sprint triathlon, which is just a short little thing Yeah. up in Steamboat Springs. And, you know, I had prepared in the pool, but I had never prepared in open water. It's totally different. And at the time I was 20 pounds bigger with muscle on and Fitting into a wetsuit was, I mean, I was already having a hard time breathing on shore. And then you see everybody around you and it's a new experience. It's something that I didn't think about. And so what happens? Gun goes off. I get in the water. I start freaking out. I got people all around me, like released like turtles into this water. And um, I freaked out and I tapped out. And it's so funny because the first... First little sprint triathlon that I did, which should have been super easy because I was in good enough fitness to, to, to be actually able to crush it. it, was something that, man, I, I didn't even get out of the water without being in a canoe. <laughs> um, and, and that was tough. That was tough. Um, you know, there, there's, there's varying degrees of frustration and panic is probably the worst one, right? I mean, when, when you panic, What's going to happen? And, you know, I, I don't know if any of us are good in panic. I, I, I'm not sure I understand how to overcome panic in something new until it happens. And then you've got to know how to create contingencies so that that doesn't happen. Um, and, you know, that's where kind of like that planning to, to, to what you said. I mean, nothing worth doing is going to be easy. Yeah. It's just not. I mean, the greatest athletes in the world are, are more physically gifted than us mere mortals, but they work their asses off to make sure that they're the best of the best. And there's work, there's frustration, there might be injuries. I mean, it's not easy for any of us. There's gonna be points of frustration. There might even be points of panic. So have have the ability to have, you know, clarity in those times, however it's going, and then set up the new contingencies, knowing and trusting that you're gonna get it right or die trying. So let's, let's continue on that story, though, because I, it's also personal for me. It's a weird yeah. time, but I'm training for an Ironman, which yeah. let's, I'm hoping to call myself an Ironman three weeks. Let's go. Either way, I'm not, like I told you, I'm not going to quit, but I'm hoping not to get timed out. But so the first time you're in that open water, you panicked. And I think that's a lot like life and work and all of that is this kind of like it hits you, yeah. right? And then you're not prepared for it. So you panic and panic just puts you into fight, flight, or freeze. Yes. So it's, it's hard to get out of that. But I think that swim moment is like a lot of moments in a lot of our lives. Tell me what you did next, because I also know that you did, ha- you did a 70.3 Ironman. So you, you kept going. So how did that experience, how did you think about that experience? And then how did it change how you moved forward? Contingencies. So, you know, I, again, I knew I had plenty of fitness to be able to do it. But the one thing that I couldn't get over was the environment. And this is incredibly important. I hate dirty lake water. Just a germ folk. <laughs> No, it's true. It's pretty like, gross. Thinking about getting in there. And so knowing that this is something that I wanted to accomplish, I changed my environment. 
my environment changed. I said, I'm going to go swim in the ocean because I don't hate that. And the, the, the change of environment so that I could accomplish that goal was something that I certainly premeditated and decided the next one I do, I'm not going to set myself up for, for failure or that panic moment because that's just not my space. I need to be in an environment where my strengths can come out and I feel as calm and comfortable as I possibly can with 200 people kicking and fighting around me. So here's what I here's what I love about that too is I think it's a great example of put yourself in the obstacle that you're going to face. Yeah. So you knew open water was going to be a problem. Yeah. Um, but so you went after the fact. After the fact. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's hard to understand how different that is to pool until you actually. It, it doesn't seem like it would be that different, but it's a yeah. whole different animal. I know because I panicked in water too, so I totally I get it. And I think I was telling you. The half uh, triathlon I did, it was two loops. So the first loop, I panicked completely. And then the second loop, I, I I got it. I was in a good zone, but it taught me that I could get through the panic. But I had, if it had not been two loops, I would have been done because it would have been one loop of panic. But but what I love about what you're saying is going to the ocean is, that I want us all to hear is, put yourself in the obstacle. So someone said to me the other day, things don't get easier, you get stronger. So open water is open water, right? Life is life, change is change. But if you keep putting yourself in those situations where you're faced with those things, you will get stronger at dealing with it. Yeah, I mean, listen, and who's to say if I I, I didn't continue, I had two little babies at the time. So that that was the first and the last one after that. And I pretty much retired. But who's to say, had I had the time to be able to uh, go do another one, then I wouldn't have been able to go back into a dirty lake over over the ocean, you know? I mean, I, I probably could have because I, I built up the confidence through a little step for me by changing my environment that I knew that I could accomplish it. I didn't die. I panicked, but not as long as, yeah. you know, I thought I was gonna panic, I overcame the panic. And so having that strength and, and really being able to like reflect on it and, and the dignity that you get out of overcoming that crisis of faith when you're in the moment and powering through, that that is a life lesson that travels across whatever we're talking about. I want to bring it to you and your team too, and your leadership. Um, one of the things that I've always been really impressed with, with your team, which is why I wanted to interview all of you, is that you all seem to be really good at having an eye on innovation and being able to uh, manage the change. So sometimes when I go in with clients, and rightfully so, that they're very stressed out about change, and there's a lot of resistance, a lot of legacy thinking, a lot of no, 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 we just got to get our head in the sand, wait it out. You know, people are people are afraid. It's hard because they're, we're, it changes who we are and our identities as our jobs and our work changes. Um, how do you though think about leading a team of people who seem to maybe embrace it isn't the right word, but at least are dealing with it pretty damn well. Yeah. How do you think about leading a team of people who become change leaders? Because I, I, I do think part of it's hiring, but I think part of it is culture. 100%. I mean, you know, we've said it a billion times sitting in here. We, we don't hire for aptitude. We hire for attitude. So attitude gets your foot in the door um, and then things get tough and we're going to test that attitude, <laughs> right? Um, and And so, you know, it's incredibly important to come on with a good attitude because if, if, if we can see a good attitude, uh, you know, in somebody over the smartest person in the world, chances are we can kind of handicap how they're going to deal with circumstances that are not in their favor. That's where you got to activate your attitude. So I'm not sure if that answers the question. But Yeah. And it leads me to a second one, which is how do you judge or measure? How do you guys think about judging or measuring attitude? 
Well, you know, we, we I think we've certainly tangible. gotten better. Yeah. So, um, it, this is such a cop out, but I'm a real gut guy. Like I've got to have that frequency from, from maybe not the get go. Um, but, but I've, I've got to kind of feel it. And I need them to feel it too. Yeah. Like we, we have to opt into something together. That's an incredibly important decision that if it doesn't go well, can harm both of us. Um, and so I was on a podcast a few weeks ago and I, the most honest way to put it is I basically sit here and threaten them for the first half hour and, and not in a mean way, but I want them to know what they're signing up for. You know, I don't want to bait and switch anybody and have my sales hat on so hard that I end up getting somebody here, not based on who we are and the way that we do things. Cause they're going to wake up the next day and come to work. And if yeah. I sold them something that we weren't, we're both going to be unhappy. So to find our people, we have to be as transparent as possible and know who we are, know who we are and what we do. And we're not for everybody. And we have to be okay not, be, not being for everybody. And so to know that and to be able to communicate that, hopefully they say no. Because if they said no, they've made a good decision. But if they said yes, hopefully they've done it for the right reasons because we've laid out who we are and what we do. So I think, as you all know, our the launch tree definition, the one that we've curated of innovation that we often kind of put our stake in the ground around, is thinking differently about what's right in front of you to create an advantage, right? So that fresh perspective, that outside the box, like whatever it is, but what's right in front of you, because we all have these constraints, resources, opportunities, people, communities, fill in the blank, right? To create that advantage, whatever that looks like for you. Um, I know innovation is a big part of your culture. How do you make sure that stays a priority and that you as the leader, maybe we'll take it to you personally, don't rest on your success or your laurels first? Well, I mean, I'd get bored and then I'd be <laughs> disenfranchised. Like, I I love the change. Yeah. Like, huh. because, you know, loans are hard. I mean, once we actually get one, it's, it's not an easy job. Um, and like we talked about as we started, <laughs> things are always going to change. Um, and to do things the same way over and over and over and over again, for me personally, I would just get bored. And then maybe I opt out of something that I originally opted in to do. And so it's incredibly important for me to be able to innovate just to keep my focus and my experience and my happiness and my fulfillment in the role, what it needs to be for me so that I can bring the best because I don't want to be 70%. And if I'm not innovating and if, if I'm not adding value, something in me feels it. And it's really, really important for me to have the dignity to know that I'm adding a lot of value because I feel good about it. I feel good about it. So I have to ask because I know that there are a lot of people out there when I say change are like, oh, change is so scary, right? They'll do it. But they're they're attitude going into it is how scary it is. And you just said, I love change and kind of lit up about it. Control so the change. Yeah. Tell me, oh, let's, let's, okay. So let's dig into that. Tell me why you love it. And that phrase you just said, control the change, like what that looks like for you. I mean, again, like who wants to do the, I'm just not wired to do the exact same thing every day. I used to have, um, you know, my calendar time blocked to the hill. Um, I think back before that was cool. That probably dates me. Um, <laughs> did you have a Rolodex too? <laughs> I did. Oh, you so did you I. should see my calendar now. It's, it's, it's pretty open yeah. and things that I, I'm not obligated to do. And I keep it like that for the ability to pivot in the moment mm -hmm. and do what I feel I need to do that day. And, you know, 
that allows me the headspace to be able to really think about what I'm excited about. Like, how can I be the agent of change rather than the change coming to me? One of the biggest changes I made that I think had the biggest impact for me was treating my calendar as a way to meet my goals, not as a way to right. give my time away. Yeah. And I used to give my time away. Yeah. And I was the same way, but I mean, I'm well into my, I'm almost in my 50s. So to me, it was like a, a full calendar and a full Rolodex, that meant you were important. Yeah. Like not busy, important. It turns out it just means you're busy. But yeah, probably doing stuff you shouldn't do. But the biggest change I made was my meetings are only in the morning. And one o'clock on, like unless I absolutely have to, I have I never schedule we're meetings. And same exactly with Fridays. The same. It's the best. We're we're exactly the same. Like I'm a morning guy. Yeah. I get me up too. early. I, you know, I'm not a forerunner, I'm a Ferrari. <laughs> like I'm yeah. gonna go fast for a short amount of time, and then you gotta put me in the garage and rub me down with a diaper because that's <laughs> all I've got. And I just know that about myself. It's like it, you know, same by about one or two o'clock. I'm yeah. done yeah. because like, there's just something that needs to be refueled in me. And it doesn't mean that I'm not working or thinking about work. I'm just doing it a little bit differently, changing my yeah. environment mm -hmm. so that I can get kind of like refueled through, through an environmental change. If I, if I, I mean, I've certainly had points in my career where I sat at that desk all day long and uh, you know, I'm, I'm really glad that I did that, but now to be able to work in a way that, that is more like it seems almost freelance. It puts me um, in a position to, to be in a fresh position to get the thoughts yeah. or get my head straight so that I can think about like, okay, well, what is the next thing? Well, meetings don't always equal work. No, right? not at all. That's I hate the, meetings. You know, so do I. And uh, the other thing I've learned is my meetings are now 50 minutes or 20 minutes because you don't, you feel the time you have yeah. and our brain needs five to seven minutes to to complete and clear out, move on to the next task. So when we go from meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting, uh, we actually create all this mental residue. And I found that if the meeting's 20 minutes, it's all we needed. If that's it's 50, right. that's all we needed. But if it's an hour, turns out we needed that. So you feel the time you have. I wanna ask you a question about something though, because I used to get in a lot of trouble for this or people are on me about this a lot. And I suspect you might be the same way. Um, I burn really hot or I'm off, yeah. right? Like I'm, and, and for me to have my, I feel like for me to have my edge, I have to be like going hundred miles an hour, but I can't sustain that for long periods sure. of time. So I have to break, come back, go up. Sure. And people always say to me, oh no, you need to pace yourself tomorrow. Your, your problem with your energy is that you don't pace, pace yourself. So I tried to do 70%, mm -hmm. right, evenly, but I have no, I don't know, it just loses my edge. I and just I don't, know don't if, like, you think feel that, that way. that's our genius zone. Yeah. Like our genius zone, I mean, comes in, I, it's almost like when, when, when I'm at my best mentally over a period of time, it, it's almost a manic state. Yeah. Truly. Yeah. And you can't live like that, right? I mean, and you shouldn't be manic for long periods of time. You need that's to break. How, yeah, that's how you end up in a hospital. <laughs> so, you know, it's just it, it, as excitable as I am about something. I'm not excited to do anything half-ass. I, I want to give it my best. And if I can't give it my best, I'll just ignore it and not do it. It might need to be done at some point, but I'm not ready to do that part yet because I got to give my best. Yeah. And I get excited when I'm engaged, when I'm in my genius zone, when I can be truly present 
for what I'm supposed to be doing in the moment. And then I've got energy for, well, not days, but maybe hours um, in, in ways that I know I'm going to be effective. So I love that we're having this conversation, though, because I think that uh, we are trained to think that you have to be kind of steady on all the time. And I think for some of us, it's just we're up and down, right? And we have to be up and give it our all. And then we have to come down and kind of rejuvenate a little bit and then we can come back up and some people like some people are even and that's fine for them so i think we all need to figure out how we work best what is your as a collaborative inquisitive and leader in an organization that is doing really well and has done a brilliant job of managing through what's been like some insane change what is your advice to other everyday innovators out there and leaders who are looking to do what you've done i mean you know if you're doing anything you're not the only one doing it Tell me more. I mean, and and mortgage is the is the absolute best example of that. I mean, you can get a mortgage at Costco. You can get a mortgage from your bank. You can yeah. get a mortgage online. You can get a mortgage from any one of our hundreds of competitors in in this city alone. It truly is a commodity. And so, you know, I'm not the only one doing it. I got to figure out ways to do it better. Whatever I decide to go do, because I'm just not smart enough to invent Facebook. Somebody else is doing it already. And what would it be inside of me other than arrogance to think that I could do it better than them if I didn't have, you know, the understanding that it's going to be hard and that where you get into that crisis of faith, you're going to have to innovate. You're going to have to take a deep breath. You can't panic. You got to move through it. And if it's worth doing, you better do your best. Okay. So I'm about to clap my hands, but it sounds very funny on podcast, so I'm not going to. But I have to say that uh, I love that you said in the beginning, like, we're not the only ones doing it. And I think it is really egotistical of any of us to think we're the only ones in our field that we have no competition. Right. And it's one of my pet peeves when I talk to particularly entrepreneurs, but also in organizations too. It's like, well, we're the only ones who really do it this way. I'm like, yeah, but are you? Like, I'm not sure that's... In fact, I have not yet found that to be the case. Just because you're skinning a cat differently doesn't mean the cat's not skinned at the end of the day. <laughs> Great. Your way's that way. Cool. Right, right. I mean, yeah. The end result is the exact same of, of what anybody in your space is trying to do. So how are you going to do it better? What are you yeah. going to do that gives you real value and joy in doing what you decided to do better? Well, and I think you don't always have to have your eye on the competition. I think you should have your eye on the customer a lot of the time. But I think what's important is, that, or at least for me, and what I think is really important for innovation and kind of staying in a leading position is recognizing that pressure is always out there because I think it keeps you on your toes. I think competition is actually good and healthy. And if you're the only one in your field, it makes me question if anybody cares. Probably not. Like I said, unless you invented Facebook. But again. But even that, MySpace was there. <laughs> that's right? true. That's I mean, it's not true. like he wasn't actually, that wasn't actually the first thing out there. He good just point. did it better. Yeah, good point. Right? Good point. Um, all right. So this has been super insightful. We have to wrap up. So I'm going to ask you one last personal question, which is what would we be surprised to learn about you? Hmm. That's a really good question. I own 3,000 head of cattle. That's fun. Oh. Yeah. You know, I was wondering that when you said to skin the cat, I was like, I feel like that's someone who's a rancher or a farmer who would come up with that example. Trying to do, yeah. <laughs> what, do you have a ranch around here? No, no, no. It's there's one in Kansas, and then oh. custom feed for my friends up in Platteville, Colorado. Oh, I would not have guessed that. Thank Nobody you. For does. Sure. Nobody right. does. Nobody does. <laughs>
absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining me. So much insight. And I hope if those of you out there listening that you take a second to really, if you're driving, obviously pull over, but actually write some notes down of things you can do differently. Because what I got out of this conversation was not just some inspiration, but some real thought provoking things around, well, how am I going to market? Who am I really thinking about? And how do I do it in a way that keeps me embracing change? And I think how we see change can often be a mindset thing. It's not even the reality. It's just how we view it. So thank you for that. Thank you very much. Congratulations. By listening to this podcast, you took another step towards becoming an everyday innovator. To leap forward, visit www.gotolaunchstreet.com and take the Innovation Quotient Edge Assessment to discover your unique everyday innovator style and access the Everyday Innovator Digital Magazine for the top tools, insights, and inspiration at your fingertips 24-7. Tomorrow, we'll be back with another Everyday Innovator conversation soon. In the meantime, if you got a nugget of value out of this podcast, let Tamara know by leaving a five-star review and comment. Your review equals more guests, more listeners, listens bigger impact until next time